I'm Michael Brennis, and this is the Showbiz Roundup. With Arun Luthra, multiculturalism is a fundamental tenet of his artistic expression, but it also informs his ethos as a person. Raised in a family about as international as they come, it's second nature. While his residency at the University of Wisconsin-Madison concludes in a few weeks, interested folks still have a couple of opportunities to take in what he has to offer, including at the Bluestem presentation of his Madison Conical project, before he jets off to New York to resume his full professional schedule. Arun Luthra, welcome to the Showbiz Roundup. It's great to have you here. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Michael. You are the interdisciplinary artist in residence at the University of Wisconsin-Madison's Division of Arts this semester. And uh, Johannes Wallman's the lead faculty member for this residency. So presumably you've known him for quite some time. But tell us how you landed this gig. Well, um, as you say, Johannes Wallman and I go back a ways. We were actually colleagues at New School of Jazz and Contemporary Music. Johannes was doing his PhD at NYU, and we were both on the, the, uh, the faculty at New School at the time. Um, and then, you know, Johannes has gone on to have this stellar career, you know, and he, he, uh, he was in California for a while, and then now he's been in Wisconsin for 10 years. Um, so, you know, we were, we were buddies and, and colleagues in New York. And then uh, after he left New York, we actually played together. I, I, I uh, hired him to be uh, in my rhythm section when I was touring the West Coast. Um, so, you know, we had this ongoing relationship and then I was just blown away and really, uh, you know, touched, gratified, moved, delighted that that he came to me and said, look, Arun, there's this residency here at, at UW-Madison. And I think it would be wonderful if you came in and were the artist in residence. And I was like, oh, wow. Yes, absolutely. Count me in. And so, you know, we, we put all the pieces in place and did what we had to do to make it happen. So you developed some classes um for this residency, can you can you talk us through what that involved, what the classes are about? Sure. I mean, the, the, the structure of the residency is very hip. You know, it's called the Interdisciplinary Artist in Residence Program, if I'm not mistaken, the IARP. And the structure of the residency is that uh, not only does the artist come to Madison for a semester and present their work to the community, to the university, to the community beyond the university, but they also design a course that is open to students all across the university, right? So anyone can take the course. And the course is meant to be reflective of that artist's interdisciplinary practice. Um, so that's, you know, so I, I, I designed this course, which, uh, you know, started uh, at the beginning of the semester. And uh, the course is called uh, The Universal Language of Rhythm, Explorations Through Conical and Black American Music. And the idea behind the course is that, first of all, it's a conical tutorial. And conical is the uh, art form from Carnatic music, which is the classical music of South India, in which rhythms are vocalized rather than played on a drum. So it's a, it's an, it's a discipline, it's an art form that I fell in love with at a very young age, um, this idea of vocalizing rhythms rather than playing them on a drum and, you know, uh, it exists in the Hindustani music tradition, which is North Indian classical music, and it also exists in, in Carnatic music. So I've been incorporating Konokol into my music for, for quite a few years now. And at the same time, the course, you know, is teaching Konokol to the students, but at the same time, uh, it's also using rhythm as a lens through which to see 
all different aspects of our existence and of our experience as human beings or just our explorations of the natural world and all this kind of thing. And that's something that's always fascinated me. So, you know, rhythm, we can perceive rhythm in, for example, our heartbeats or the, the, the how, you know, how fast or slow we walk, right? Our footsteps. We can perceive rhythm in the changing of the seasons. We can perceive rhythm in the languages we speak, right? And the way the rhythm of a sentence speaking fast or slow can change its meaning or its nuance. We also can see rhythm in the natural world uh, at the quantum level, uh, which is something that has fascinated me for a long time. And this notion of particle wave duality, where at the quantum level, at the fundamental level, all things are both particles and waves. And a wave, the, 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 the oscillation of a wave is a rhythm, right? So what's the frequency of an electron's wave versus a proton wave versus a boson wave, right? And, and do these rhythms, can these rhythms be translated, these frequencies, can they be translated into, you know, ratios of rhythms that create chords or polyrhythms or all kinds of things, right? So there are all these ways that we can look at rhythm and, uh, and, and see how, in a way, it's the key that unlocks everything. Um, and then also another uh, aspect of the course is the idea that, you know, my identity as a multicultural, multinational, intercontinental person with a background in, in, in different places and ancestry in different places um, and notions of uh, colonization, colonialism, diaspora, anti-colonialism, anti-racism, um, cultural blendings, all these kinds of things are, are aspects of my artistic practice, which we are also exploring uh, in the course. And how, for example, going back to rhythm, well, rhythm is, you know, is an aspect of music that has been central to movements for social justice, for example, right? So we think about civil rights songs or, you know, anti-apartheid music, or you think of the resistance against fascist dictatorships in Latin America, you know, that were supported by the United States government and how music was a, a really central part of the resistance against these oppressive systems. And those musics contain rhythm, right? So we can use rhythm to really access so many parts of our, of our experience as human beings. And that's uh, another aspect of the course that's really exciting. So interesting. I feel like we can probably just barely scratch the surface of this subject matter that you're dealing with in your course. Have you found, um, have you gotten participation from outside of the music school, for example? What What's the ratio like in terms of the students? Where are they coming from? Oh, that's a great question. I couldn't give you specific numbers, but for sure there are, you know, there are students coming to the course that who are not in the school of music. Um, and, you know, it could be a discipline like, uh, um, you know, engineering in terms of like coding computer programs and things like that. Um, and then another aspect, you know, that's, I think, uh, quite typical at, at UW-Madison is that many music students are actually dual majors. So, you know, I mean, I, I, this is an example that, that, that I keep coming back to because it was just so striking to me is that, you know, one of the students in, in the course uh, is studying, you know, how the, how the human brain works and speech pathology came up. And the idea that um, sometimes speech impediments can come from um, uh, trouble hearing, but the trouble hearing doesn't arise from a physiological problem with the ear, but with neurons within 
the ear and connecting to the brain firing asynchronously. And synchronization versus asynchronization is a rhythmic concept, right? Rhythms can be synced or not synced. And the idea that, oh, there's some condition where the neurons that are firing in the ear and sending the signals to the brain are out of sync with the neurons in the brain. And as a result, you're not able to hear what's actually being said and therefore you develop a speech impediment. I mean, boom, my mind was blown. Like, wow, there's an aspect of rhythm and biology that I never would have thought of. And a student who's studying this discipline you know, has the knowledge and, 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 and has studied so that they can bring that to the conversation. It's been really heavy. Yeah, it's been wonderful. That's just a testament, I think, to the um, asset that this residency is to the university community. I think we can't say enough about you know, how important this kind of interdisciplinary thing is to the university community. I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, for, for me, as the, as the artist in residence, it's just spectacular to uh, be a part of this UW-Madison community and the incredible people who are here doing all this amazing work. Um, and then at the same time, you know, of course, my hope is that I'm bringing something to the table that otherwise, you know, folks wouldn't have encountered and, you know, opening doors to new ideas, new concepts, new, new ways to look at the world. Yeah, it's clear that that's what's happening in your class and your, in your course. So congratulations. Thank you. You were born in Worcester, Mass. Um, and then you began your musical studies apparently in Belgium. Um, were your parents in an industry that required a lot of travel? Did you divide your time between the States and Europe? Well, you know, I mean, speaking of having an international, you know, intercontinental background, right? Um, it's very interesting. I mean, no, it, 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 it wasn't their profession. It's just the life that my family leads. It's just very interesting. I live in a family that's international and travel. So, you know, I, I, I'm the third of three kids. And by the time I was born, my, my siblings were teenagers. And they'd lived in the UK, they'd lived in Belgium, they'd lived in, um, in Zimbabwe, uh, you know, they, they, they traveled and lived around and then, you know, then they moved to the United States. And, uh, and then I, I'm born, right? So it's just uh, traveling for different reasons for studies for for career for all kinds of reasons. Um, we just are an international family with roots and a background in many different places. Um, and my father uh, came to the United States to do his PhD at Clark University, which is why we were in Worcester, Massachusetts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. It's such a unique perspective. It seems so unusual for Americans in general, I think, to have that kind of international awareness at such a young age. Can you contrast the effect that this has had on you with maybe the typical American viewpoint? Well, that's interesting. You know, I, I don't want to generalize, right? But uh, I certainly have found that, you know, the United States as a country is so vast that it's possible to travel thousands of miles and still be in the same country and still kind of have the same cultural references and same, you know, uh, like, you know, I mean, something as mundane as, you know, no matter where you go, there's a PGI Friday and a McDonald's and a, and a, Target. I don't know. You know, it's like just this. It's like it's it's a big country and huge geographical distances, but kind of the stuff the same. People, folks are watching the same TV shows, listening to the same pop music. You know, it's this huge. And so you can you can uh, live your life in the United States and 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 experience that and not look at beyond the borders. Right. It, it, it's 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 possible to live that way. Now, if you live in. Let's say like I lived in Belgium as a kid. 
you drive like 100 miles, you're in a different country. And there's a different culture. And you're getting television stations in multiple languages from different countries just in your day-to-day life, in addition to which Belgium is the capital of Europe, Brussels is the capital of Europe. Well, you have all the folks coming from all the members of the EU states all living there. At the time I was a kid, it was during the, you know, the, the time when folks were, were fleeing Latin America because of these hor- horrible dictatorships in Chile and Argentina and other places. So you had political refugees from Latin America. You had, uh, you know, immigrants from South Asia and all other, you know, on other parts of the world. So it was just an incredibly cosmopolitan place, languages, cultures, cuisine. And so, you know, I grew up surrounded by all these cultures, which is, I think, something that many folks in the United States don't have the chance to do, which is a shame, you know. So I think, yes, I, I, I and I took that for granted because it was my day to day life. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, you know, I was raised in an environment where just multiculturalism, internationalism were just a part of everyday existence, on top of which my identity is that already, right? You know, I have my, my, my father's family is from Punjab in Northwest India, but, but he was born and raised in colonial British East Africa. My mother is English, but she also was raised in British, British, uh, colonial Africa, traveled the world, you know, studied in France, studied in Belgium, languages, all kinds of music, dance, etc. So, you know, that experience of my day-to-day life, plus just the, 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 the fact that my family is that way means that, you know, I, I certainly grew up with a particular outlook on the world, I'd say. And also, you know, back in those days, when, when we were young, there was no internet. So, you know, it seems like t- today, curious folks can investigate current cultures from around the world from the comfort of their own home. But back in those days, you know, you had to, I suppose you had to go to the library or something to learn about yeah, distant. That's places. exactly right. And then, you know, I think it's worth mentioning in today's environment, you know, it requires a proactive curiosity to make these explorations, right? To carry out these explorations. And a lot of folks seem to not have that. So, you know, you have the whole world at your fingertips on a device that you can hold in the palm of your hand. And what are you doing with it? Like you're, you know, looking at cat videos. I don't know what, you know what I mean? Like there's, you know, so, so, but it still takes a proactive interest and a desire and, 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 uh, you know, action on your part. And, you know, are folks actually taking advantage of that? that that's a whole other question. But cat videos are so relaxing. <laughs> they really are. <laughs> <laughs> We talked a little bit about Conical, but let's mm-hmm. talk a little bit more. I, I guess I'm particularly interested in how you've developed a musical style that combines Conical with jazz to describe it in a fairly rudimentary way. I mean, that seems f- rather rare to me, this this uh, combination. I suppose it's a fairly organic thing for you, being multicultural and having this exposure, but... Uh, is there an element to it that is, um, how do I describe it? Is it, a, is it entirely organic, the way that you combine these two elements, or is it not? I mean, that, you know, that's an interesting question. It's actually come up quite a few times in the last few months. And you know, I have to say that the, the initial impulse is entirely organic. Um, you know, it, it's just who I am. It's 
just as natural as my height, as, you know, as my being right-handed or whatever it is, right? It's just part of who I am. These cultures are part of me and I love them and they're, they're you know, so this is just an expression of what I feel, my, my nature, you know? So uh, in that sense, you know, it, it isn't as if I thought, wow, what's this really kind of cool new fusion that I can create? Oh, I know what I'll do, you know, and I, it wasn't planned, right? It's just, it's who I am, it's what I love, so it's what I do kind of thing. Um, at the same time, you know, even though I'm of South Asian heritage, I wasn't raised in South Asia. And my my father was an amateur tabla player, but he wasn't a professional musician, right? So I didn't have access to the to to the to that to that tradition and that culture in a really intensified, you know, intense or or concentrated way as a child. So I had to actually go and really study. Um, and that part was of conscious choice on my part. I said, okay, that's it. I'm doing this now. You know, so I, I went to Chennai, spent a month there, found, you know, was at this wonderful place called the Bharadvani Institute, where I learned, I started to learn conical and all this kind of thing. And then, you know, in addition to that, there's the, there's the craft of, okay, now that I'm learning these rhythms and learning these, these compositions and starting to execute them, what am I going to do with it? And, um, you know, using my experience as a musician and, and, and my, my craft to, to start to generate ideas compositionally in terms of performance and all that. Um, so that part definitely takes a lot of thought and a lot of planning and has a lot of conscious, you know, uh, consideration around it. So it's definitely both. But I think you could say that about any endeavor, right? You know, that you have an idea, it just spontaneously springs from who you are. But then if you're going to implement that idea, you really have to uh, use your your craft, your knowledge, your experience and, you know, be thoughtful about it to kind of really make it a reality. Does Conical have a melodic component to it or is it purely rhythmic? It's purely rhythmic and its history. Is, and this is true for Hindustani music, North Indian classical music, as well as Carnatic music. The Indian classical music's. The audio cuts out here for a second, but Arun is referring to an oral tradition. You are taught lessons, which you then repeat back. So your teacher does a lesson and then you repeat it back and you start by doing your lessons vocally. And if you're learning a melodic instrument, there's a sargam, the, 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 I guess you call it kind of Indian classical music solfege and you learn to sing and then you transfer what you can sing to your instrument. Um, and for rhythm, um, you know, the, the percussion instruments in Indian classical music are played with the hand, not with sticks. And you, uh, so you can strike the drum in many different ways. You can strike it with your right hand, with your left hand, with just the index finger, with three other fingers, with the thumb, with the palm, right? So you can create all these sounds by striking a drum in various ways with, uh, with your hands. And each of those sounds has a syllable that's associated with it. And so when you recite the rhythm, you're reciting it in time using the syllable for each stroke, right? So as a student, you would hear your teacher, your guru say the lesson, you would recite it back. And then eventually you start practicing translating those syllables into actual strikes on the drum, whatever your percussion instrument happens to be. So it's a purely, as, as you were saying, it's a purely rhythmic language. It doesn't have a melodic component. So you're residency is drawing to a close, I think, um, at the end of the semester. Do you have, you, you have a couple of big planned events um, to conclude the residency. Would you talk about those a little bit? And then uh, where do you go from here? 
Well, okay. So there are a whole a whole bunch of events coming up. Um, some are directly related to the to the residency. Some are not. Um, so let's see. Uh, my my band is called the Conical Jazz Project, and I've been very fortunate to be able to collaborate with UW Madison faculty. And you know, so I have a Madison based rhythm section now, uh, which mm -hmm. has been wonderful. And um, we have a concert coming up at the North Street Cabaret on November 13th. Um, and that will be with Luke Levitt on keyboard, uh, Nick Moran on bass, and um, Matt Endress on the drum set. Um, that's the Blue Stem show that's coming up. Right, so that, that's coming up very soon. Um, one of the big events for, for the, the residency is later in, in on November uh, 12th, which is, I guess, the day before the 13th, right? So, so on November 12th, I will be presenting a lecture in Collins Recital Hall in the, in, the, in the Hamill Music Center, which is open to the public and is essentially a lecture demonstration, uh, which is kind of a, a condensed version of the residency course that I'm teaching. So talking about conical, but also talking about rhythm as a, a universal phenomenon, and then the idea of blending cultures and Black American music with Carnatic music and that kind of thing. So that's that's going to be a, a really exciting event on November 12th. Um, and then let's see, uh, the big finale for the residency is on December 7th at the Arts Lit Lab. And at that event, we will have the students in the course perform conical, they will also be presenting their final projects based on the material that we've covered in the course. So, you know, all these ideas are starting to emerge now, but it could be as varied as someone uh, composing a piece of music or choreographing a dance related to conical rhythmic structures or creating a, a piece of visual art. It could be a sculpture or a painting, um, maybe some video work. Um, also, presentation of scholarly papers on various issues of, you know, uh, social justice or anti-colonialism, anti-racism, or the idea of blending cultures, right? Um, so it's going to be a really exciting event with students really bringing tons of ideas and, and different ways of expressing these concepts to, to, the, uh, to, to the event. Um, we also are bringing out Rohan Krishnamurti, who's a wonderful Murdangamist, uh, Carnatic percussionist. He also plays Kandira and, and is a conical artist. So he will be also performing at the final event along with the student ensemble that I'm directing uh, during the, my residency, the Contemporary Jazz Ensemble. So it's going to be a big, big event and a big celebration of this course and this residency. December 7th, Arts Lit Lab. That's going to be a, a, a really great night. Sounds like an extravaganza. Yes, indeed. That's a perfect word for it. <laughs> and then are, are you back to New York then, back to the new school, or where do you go from here? Yeah, um, so you know, I've been—I will have lived in Madison for three and a half months, right? I've uh, been here since since the last couple of days of August, and then the residency ends mid-December. Head back to New York um, to you know catch my breath a little bit. I have a bunch of projects, uh, you know, in the pipeline that I'm working on, um, and as you mentioned, I'm also on the faculty in the new school at the the School of Jazz and Contemporary Music, so I'll be resuming my my teaching there, and uh, you know, just really. Uh, you know, you know, continuing with these ongoing composition projects, recording projects, touring projects, which, uh, you know, I've been doing for for years. And then, you know, my my heartfelt hope and desire is to really continue 
uh, you know, to, to grow and, and, uh, and deepen my relationship with the, with the community here in Madison, because it's just been such a, a wonderful experience to be here. And just the, the people here are incredible and the commitment to culture here and, and, uh, and the ability to, uh, to present culture, to present, you know, my, my art and talk about it and, and, uh, and connect with, with all these fantastic people. It's just been wonderful. So definitely I, I, I'm looking forward to that in my future as well. That's great. That's great to hear. It was certainly a joy to have you as our special guest back in June at the New Breed Jazz Jam. Uh, to That was the first public performance of that group in a long, long time. And it was great to have you on board for that. It was a lot of fun to play your your music for that show. Yeah, I mean, it, that was a really special night. And it was so great to play with you, Michael. And, you know, the, the that feeling of, wow, you know, we've been caught, you know, we've been in isolation because of this pandemic for so long. And finally, we're out here together, listening to music, making music together. It was a magical night. Yeah, for sure. Well, Arun Luthra, it's been so great to talk to you here on the Showbiz Roundup. Um, looking forward to your upcoming performances here in Madison and uh, all the best. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Michael. And, you know, see you all at North Street Cabaret on November 13th. That's it for another episode of the Showbiz Roundup. If you'd like more information about this show or any of the past or future shows presented by Bluestem Jazz, you can head over to bluestemjazz.org. And you can follow my doings or be in touch via rattletickbuzz.com. Catch you later.